Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Sharon Davies, an English former competitive swimmer who represented Great Britain in the Olympics and European Championships and competed for England in the Commonwealth Games. Davies has attended 12 consecutive Olympic Games, competing in three games, and then working in the media poolside for the BBC. Since retiring from the sport, she has had opportunities with major media organizations and programs. In 2005, Davies supported the British Olympic bid by profile raising and appearing as a spokesperson on BBC's Question Time, where she made a strong case for bringing the Games to London for 2012. And in 2019, Davies became embroiled in the debate over men competing in women's sports. I welcome Sharon Davies to Savage Minds. I've just finished a chapter for a book on this issue about women in lockdown, and the reality is, is that what we're about to discuss, in fact, and lockdown, all of this has a common thread through it, where women are expected to sacrifice their lives, their earnings, their reputations, their bursaries, etc., their futures, for the sake of the greater good. And I, uh, you know, I, I referred at the end of this chapter I just finished to a French philosopher, uh, Hélène Sixou, who talks about this in, in very, very strict terms, stating effectively that women are the ones who pay the burden of society's alleged progress, that they, in fact, do this in the, uh, in the name of society being able to say that it's functioning. She says that women's oppression gives the appearance of being the condition for the machinery functioning. And I really like this quote by her. Yeah. You'd have thought by now there would have been enough women in positions of authority somehow to, to fight back with this narrative, wouldn't you? You know, that we've progressed enough to put enough women in places where they can have some sway on, on how things are presented. But yeah, I mean, you know, sport is a, is a prime example. Um, we still don't have obviously enough women in positions of authority, but I just, it, it, my head wants to explode when I see what's happening at the moment and the lack of science that was done before women were just thrown away, you know, in sport, it's just extraordinary. Well, absolutely. In fact, you know, I came to know about your, your views on the issue of men competing in women's sports three years ago, but through your Twitter feed and then the brouhaha that erupted over your saying something quite uncontroversial. You said that basically that men, who identifies women competing in women's sports presents a possible loophole of people taking advantage of this to win medals, money, positions, etc. And you were called everything under the sun from a fascist, far right, anything to, you know, the numerous other epithets that we've all heard, including yeah. the beloved turf. So, yes. you know, we're at the stage in the world of Western history, in the Anglophone world especially, where now people are virtue signaling their identities through pronouns and what we were saying earlier about the left and the right. You know, we've got the right wing media talking about class issues, talking about the necessity to retain women in sports as a separate category. And then the left is saying, oh, you turf, you bigot. Yeah. You should just let them there. What harm are they doing you, Sharon? What yeah. harm is that doing? You know, so yeah. three years ago, you got into a bit of hot water for saying that allowing transgender sick transgender athletes to enter female competitions, you wrote, has the potential to ruin women's sport. And I believe this was the tweet that started on Twitter, where you spoke of the potential to anywhere from 10 to 20% benefit, depending on the sport between men and women elite athletes. You said that this could potentially mean that women would no longer be able to win medals, gain scholarships, have any kind of profile opportunities. And you were dragged over the coals for this. So could you maybe talk a bit about your piece that you wrote in the Times last month, where you talk about how women are basically expected to move over so that male athletes can enter their sports? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just science. I mean, three years ago, myself and, and 60 very, very well-known athletes that were friends of, of me, of Paula Radcliffe, um, of Tiny Gray Thompson, of, of Kelly, um, 
got this little list together, literally in, an, in a Sunday afternoon at home and wrote a letter to the IOC. I mean, we could have had a lot more than 60, but we wanted to be very proactive and do it quickly. So we just got 60 names together, all Olympic medalists and world champions. And we wrote to the IOC and said, please do not change these rules until you've done the science first. So, you know, prove to us, prove to everybody that you can remove male puberty, which we know exists, the advantages of male puberty. You only have to look at the results of every single sporting event ever to see that there is an advantage, you know, with being born biologically male. And this is a fact. This isn't a feeling. This is what you are biologically. You either are or you aren't. You are male or you are female. So however you feel, feel and however you want to express yourself is irrelevant to the biological reality of what your body is so we were just saying please do the science first to prove to us that you can remove that benefit otherwise you're just suggesting that women no longer should be given a level playing field that men are given you know we have um we have WADA we have the World Anti-Doping Agency is in place and spends millions of pounds every year trying to check catch people who try to cheat who try to get the tiniest benefits so that they can win medals and yet women are expected to give away huge benefits in the name of inclusivity so you are excluding biological females from their own category rather than just you know doing the science or creating a new category or creating a, a new way to define races so if races are raced in male and female then we would get rid of that problem However, if we did that, there may be transgender men, so biological females that are on testosterone that wouldn't be able to race in the female category because they would be done straight away for, for, for taking drugs, for taking you know, synthetic testosterone. So if we create a female category in an open category, it's a totally inclusive. It means sport is inclusive for everybody and you are protecting both sexes. So nobody is being excluded. So that's the way that then I very strongly feel we need to go. And if I'm honest and put my hand on my heart, I believe in X number of years, that's where we will end up. What frustrates me the most is the number of women that are going to have to lose out before we get to that point when we already know the science and we already know the truth and we already know that men are stronger than women. You know, we already know we have those categories for exactly that reason. Um, and that is what I just can't quite understand. And I think it's the fact that so many people in the street and you say it's a left and a right problem. I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure that it is, because I know an awful lot of people that, you know, that are left wing that still think this is ridiculous. It's a very small but very loud minority. And we use this word woke, which seems to describe a, a very, very ferocious group of people who seem to be absolutely insistent on on putting their ideology on the rest of the world. Well, I agree with you that there are people on the left that don't agree with this, but there are people on the left that don't agree only in as much as sports, who will then also be on Twitter hounding women for not using preferred pronouns, even though they might be on our side for the sports issue, for instance. And this raises a lot of questions for me, because as you were speaking, you say biological males, biological females, and I'm thinking, what about all these linguistic games we're being forced yeah. into? You yeah, know, male born, I mean, it's like, it's insane. It's like scratching your left ear with your right hand. You know, you, yeah. you sort of, we're, we're in this, we're caught in this language game when at the end of the day, I do have moments where I just cackle. I'm doing something and all of a sudden I start laughing hysterically because I think about how insane this is. Like yeah. we are actually worried about men participating in women's sports because they decided on X day that they liked lace, that they cried a lot, that they something that they did signaled to them. And I hate to say it like this, but a lot of times, in most cases I'm reading, these are pure stereotypes about women and quote unquote femininity. In fact, a lot of these men dress in ways that you and I would never dress. You know, it's like, I, I don't own Laura Ashley. Okay, so we're, we're, we're held to account for a stereotypical representation of womanhood that denies the actual reality that you faced as a girl trying to enter sports, that billions of girls around the planet face trying to enter sports, and that can never in some cultures. And now we're being held to account for men's feelings. So of course, you know, it's biological male born, da da da. But why can't we just accept that a lot of what is going on is about making women capitulate to men yeah it just 
it seems to be about just putting men first, doesn't it? You know, whether it's in, like you talk about language, you know, it's always women's language that seems to be being eroded. So instead of saying mother, you know, we're saying, you know, birthing parent. Well, no one's suggesting that you get rid of father or, or dad or, you know, it, it just seems to be aimed at women continually and our right to have words that describe who and what we are. Um, so yes, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I just would like more people that vocally speak to me about how they feel to speak up. And I, and I think there's a tremendous amount of cowardice around at the moment because I don't believe this is how the majority of people feel. And when it comes to voting, you know, I do believe that people will, the silent majority will speak, but I just wish the silent majority were less silent and this, this problem would go away. You know, there's the much bigger picture that you've got social contagion with young girls at the moment who are being shamed into thinking because they don't look like Kim Kardashian, they're not girls. And that's back to your point that it's a stereotype. And I spent the whole of the 60s and the 70s and part of the 80s working so hard to move away from stereotypes mm -hmm. for now to be going back to putting everybody into boxes and having to have labels, you know, and, and that just seems to me just so incredibly um, unprogressive that, that it just makes me incredibly sad for generations to come. And I've got a daughter and I've got a granddaughter now, you know, and I worry about, about where it leads for them. But I do think it's part of a, I don't know, hopefully it's part of a phase, it's part of a craze, it's part of a fashion. You know, it's part of what young people somehow need to be shouting and identifying about and, um, and maybe, you know, we've had things in the past, whether that was punk or whether, you know, all the different things that we've done over the years. This, unfortunately, is way more drastic and has huge dire consequences, but it seems to be on a similar sort of similar type, but at just a different scale altogether. Well, exactly. I mean, people were talking about this well, 10 years ago and I jumped into this debate. People were saying how this is new and non-binary. And I'm like, what? Did you ever see any rock band from the 70s hard rock and go to the 80s? Like, was there one band that men did not wear makeup? And I'm thinking of ABC, Spando Ballet, Duran Duran, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, there... Boy George, Marilyn, David yeah. Bowie, yeah. Annie Lennox. <laughs> you know, you could name so many people. And we grew up, I grew up, I'm sure I'm older than you are, but we grew up with these people. We never had an issue you know, with how they identified, they were expressing themselves and they were, and I would defend anyone's right and everyone's right to, to express themselves physically, however they like, and sexually, however they like, with, as long as it's inside the law, you know, that's what being individual is all about. And I love people that are individual and, and proud and confident, you know, that's what I, I would always, that would be the hill that I would die on is to defend that. But I'm never going to turn around and believe that you can biologically change sex because you cannot. You know, and you can spend a life of taking hormones and having surgery, but your DNA will never change. Well, this is something that has become controversial to say. Sharon, I lost a good friend of 20 something years. On Facebook, he posted this calendar of, I forgot the name, it was a few years ago, men's monthly or men's yearly sports calendar. And it was a woman who was taking a number of testosterone shots weekly or monthly, depending on the recommended dose. And I just said, Larry, how are you getting behind this? This is someone who's doing great harm to herself in the name of filling out a stereotype because we have gone back as a culture to increased misogyny and hatred of women to include women's self-hatred. This is alarming. I got kicked off of a Facebook wall, blocked, and I had a really crappy message sent to me by him. This is someone I've known since I was 22 years old. And I was really floored by this because I thought, and he wrote me, he said, my son's teacher is trans and how dare you do that? And I'm thinking, why has this come back to my friend, my cousin? My I know people who identify as transgender. It doesn't mean that they've given me a lobotomy to believe that science no longer exists. Because as you just said, Sharon, human sex is immutable. No, we are not Nemo. No, we do not magically change gametes. No, do we not magically change genitalia, etc. How is it that in 2020 something, now in 22, even a few years ago, people are willing to suspend scientific belief. 
Yeah, especially off the back of COVID, when everything has been all about supposed science, isn't it? It's like it's really critical and ironic, to be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know how or why we are in this position. It seems to be that there's a small number of people that want to control everybody else's thoughts. You know, and they want us to verify their feelings. And I, and I suppose I'm just quite lucky in the fact that I had my sport when I was very young. I had a very tough time competing against the East German situation for many years, which was a, a huge injustice. And it made me rather, rather Teflon, you know, it made me rather tough. And, and so I have never been someone that needs to please all the people all the time. I'm always someone that will be quite happy to just talk the truth and please the people that I really care about and really care about me. So, <laughs> and, and so I suppose, you know, back that up with the fact that I know what happened with the East German situation, the testosterone that they were taking, that were made to take through you know, puberty. So these young girls were put through male puberty. It gave them on average a 9% benefit and they totally and utterly dominated women's sport for nearly 20 years, which meant there were generations of young girls that lost medals and places and profiles, which would have changed their lives. I had friends in the 1980 Olympics who came fourth behind three East Germans and no one has ever heard who they are. Their whole lives would have been different had it not been for the IOC totally neglecting their responsibility, which was to run fair sport. So not only did they let that generation of young girls down, they let the generation of East Germans down who were fed these terrible drugs, which had terrible side effects. And many of those young girls have died. So, you know, I have no respect for the IOC's ability to run fair sport whatsoever. And they have never, they've never proved otherwise, whether that's their human rights history, you know, history with picking totally inappropriate places for Olympic Games, or whether that's the fact they can't get on top of the, the whole Russian doping program, which, you know, was uncovered so majestically in Sochi, and still they've done nothing. So they've not changed their ways. Um, they just passed the buck and kicked the can down the street. And that's what they've done with the whole transgender problem, rather than saying, okay, let us do the science. We won't change the rules until we've done the science. And then when we've done the science, we'll change the rules based on actual facts. They've not done that. They've just bowed to the PC lobby and, and caved in and thrown women's sport yet again under the bus. But they're very careful to protect men because when I read your article Absolutely. in the Times, you wrote this. When I swam, we were all told we were sore losers for suggesting that fairness was being drowned by East Germans cheating. My dad, Terry, was my coach and he spoke out regularly about the East Germans. He was never a team coach because he told the truth. The intimidation and denial of free speech was horrid. You know, when I read this and then, you know, I'm aware that I believe you competed against East German swimmer Cornelia Ender, who was given testosterone unbeknownst to her and mm -hmm. this full blown state doping program. And I kept thinking, but wait a sec. Lance Armstrong, you know, like the, the, the media had a field day with Lance Armstrong, not just for days, but for months. How is it that they can protect men's sports when it's in their interest? But we are, as you mentioned, thrown under the bus so readily. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, just take, for example, the the, the, the shoes. Um, Nike brought out the shoes, weren't they, which, which has this sort of particular carbon fiber in them, which enables um, extra springiness. You know, lots of people complained about it. Eventually they were removed. They would have given certain certain male athletes, certain athletes full stop, but obviously male athletes included, a tiny advantage. That was sorted out and removed straight away. I remember when Oscar Pistorius was wanting to race in the Olympic Games rather than the Paralympic Games, you know, and with his blades and that there was no way was that going to happen. So when it comes down to men's sport being threatened, they sort it out straight away. <laughs> But women's, women's sport, no, we don't really care about this whatsoever. We're just going to open the floodgates because it sorts that problem out and we haven't got to deal with it. And yes, it is really depressing. I mean, it is incredibly depressing that it's still, you know, it's still happening when all the evidence is there. And there is nothing at the moment that will mitigate against removing all male puberty advantage. You know, absolutely nothing. Because... Males are born, for example, with, with a different cue angle. So the cue angle is your hip to your knee. Women are born with different size hips because we're, we give birth. So therefore the angle is greater, which creates quite a lot of knee injury, but also doesn't enable us to put so much power between your hip and your knee. So something like cycling is very affected by the cue angle. Now, no, you know, no amount of hormones for any amount of time is going to change that that biology is there and will always be there. So even if it gives that person a 1% benefit or a 2% benefit, that's more than most medals are ever won by at the Olympic Games. 
Well, Sharon, it seems what you're saying is that science is cis-heteronormative. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, I find it, but we are accused by speaking science, and I've written about this for many publications, even about Joanna Harper's involvement in these studies, that, that science is somehow bigoted against trans people. What on earth? Uh, what you've said, the Q angle, you wrote about this in The Times, in fact, People will object to you saying that, saying, well, the doctor made a mistake when X person was born and assigned them female at birth or assigned them male at birth. We've gone so far in jumping the shark that people actually believe that assigning sex at birth is a guess, you know, like, uh, you know, the magic eight ball, you know, is it a boy or a girl that checks that magic eight ball? You know, it, it, it's absolutely insane that people refuse to accept that genitalia is a very strong indicator of sex, except in very few cases of intersex individuals. And I mean, very few. Will that not be a correct indicator? Intersex is an old fashioned word now, isn't it? You know, people really yeah. try not to use that word because it's, it's a misrepresentation of what it is. You know, differences of sexual development means that your sexual organs don't develop the way that they're supposed to. So with, for example, Casa Semenya, internal testes. You know, I, I get very frustrated that nearly all of the media still will say Castor Semenya has unusual levels of testosterone for a woman. Well, Castor Semenya has totally normal levels of testosterone for someone who is biologically male. Castor Semenya is biologically male. The cast ruling only applies to someone who's 46XY. So, you know, these are things that the papers don't report. And I still bump into people in the athletics world who don't know that, you know, because we're we're back to this thing where the media just do not report the truth you know and and it's just not that it's Castor's fault for one moment you know Castor was was born in Africa where they visually looked at her made a diagnosis and, and off she went and she didn't realize until she started to go through male puberty that actually she was biologically male so you know it's not Castor's fault and had Castor been born in the United Kingdom or Italy with DSD when she was born, they would have given her a blood test and known straight away. And then she would have been brought up as a young male. Um, these are all facts and these are all the truths, whether we like them or no, they are the truths. So, you know, I just don't understand why we seem to be so frightened of the truth. And the truth will always out eventually. It's just how long it will take to out, I think. Well, yes, and the case of Castor is interesting as well, because Castor faced th this debate from the other side where she was punished for being an intersex woman. And, and you go to the Wikipedia page, by the way, of Castor Semenya, and it says that Semenya has an XY chromosome, naturally elevated testosterone levels, etc. Now, there are a lot of people who will say, well, this is a man, not a woman. And there's a lot of people who don't understand the way that in fact, intersex conditions are not detected, hence someone is raised as the opposite sex to what they biologically are. Yet she was left out of her sporting division because of the rules about testosterone levels. She wasn't left out. What happened was that the, the World Athletics went to the CAS, to the courts, mm -hmm. to try to get CASA to reduce her testosterone levels to five nanomoles instead of 10 nanomoles. Now, 10 animals is inside the male range. So male range for testosterone is about 7.5 to about 30. So it ranges very largely. You know, you look at someone like Linford Christie versus someone like Mo Farrow, very different body types. You know, um, not saying that, that Mo has low testosterone, but there are lots of body types out there. But male testosterone levels are between 7.5 to about 30. Women's testosterone levels on the whole are under one nanomole of testosterone per liter, even international supreme female athletes but our range is between 0 0.7 and 2.5 now 2.5 is for people that have endometriitis um and so that's you know that's why that range goes up to 2.5 but here's the irony again you know even at five nanomoles where which is what Castor had to reduce her testosterone levels to to be able to legally race in the 400 and the 800 only the 400 and the 800 those are the only two events that were covered in the CAS ruling um, if I was to race tomorrow and bring my testosterone levels up to five nanomoles, I would instantly receive a four-year ban. But again, this isn't something the general public are aware of. You know, my levels of testosterone are, are around one, they're under one. I mean, I've been tested recently, you know, for, for HRT and goodness knows what. And, you know, they're, they're around one, they're around the average. Um, so I would have to take four nanomoles of, of synthetic testosterone to raise my levels to five. And if I did that, I would receive a ban. And yet, Casa Semenya 
was asked to reduce it to five. Transgender athletes are asked to reduce it to five so they can have male levels for 20 years of their life, reduce it for one at the age of 21, race with five nanomoles. That's still five times what I would have in my system. So, you know, it, it, the whole thing is just crazy. It, it, there is no leveling the rules at the moment in no shape or form mitigate against male biology which is why I say there is no way we can do this. There's no way we can have all these different crazy, reduce this, reduce that, do it for two years, do it for five years, do it for seven years. It's about let's create a female protected category and let's create an open category so everyone is welcome and inclusive. And it will also include transgender men. And no one speaks about them, as we know, because actually they're biologically female and nobody really cares less. And they're no threat to male sport whatsoever. So no one ever even talks about them. And yet they would have nowhere to race if we did, if we race, you know, purely on biological sex, because they wouldn't be able to race in the women's category because it'd be illegal. Absolutely. And the fact that the committees are asking to reduce the level of testosterone to five nanomoles, and this was not respected by Semenya, then causes other questions because there are feminists. I've seen them in groups where I'm frequenting where they say, well, Caster Semenya is really a man. But you do realize the first three athletes in the Rio Olympic Games were all male in the 800. So it wasn't just Caster, you know, but this is also another fact that it's never really talked about. But actually every single person that was on the podium for the women's 800 at the Rio Olympic Games were biologically male. I did not know that, Sharon. They were all DSD athletes, all from Africa. It, yeah, I mean, this is how crazy this is. You know, so the poor girl that physically, the, the female that came forth, didn't even get on the podium. And yet she was the fastest biological female in that race. This is insane because now you've stepped in this past month to talk about this issue again, because I asked you over a year ago to come on the show. And I know that you and other athletes are in very delicate waters to speak out about this even though now you're doing work with the BBC. I mean, you still are in a delicate category here because being canceled is a reality for anyone who dares say that sex is real and this is bizarre. But you spoke out because of Emily Bridges who competed as a male athlete in the men's point race at the British University's championships. He won the event, but prior to this, he broke the national junior men's 25, 25 mile record and was chosen to join the British Cycling Senior Academy in 2019. So this is sort of the pathway for those who want to go on to the Olympics. And yet this is following the case of the US uh, sports person, Leah Thomas, another man who competed against a woman in the US uh, swim competition, 500 yard freestyle at the NCAA championships. And he won, and that caused a great stir. Now, I am shocked to learn what you just said about Rio. This is cause for concern that the IOC and other sports or, um, organizations are not doing their due diligence, not only to protect women's sports, but just to sort of suss out who is intersex or not. Because one thing I learned a few years ago when I was working on an article, I talked to someone who does sports recruiting in the developing world. And he told me that one of the things he has to look out for are people from certain backgrounds, often poor, who try to tout their son as a daughter. He said, this is not that uncommon that people will try to get their child into competitions as a girl because they can have a, a leg up in the competition. Now, obviously, I'm not saying this is common in the global south, but this is, I mean, I've lived and I've done work as an anthropologist in the poorest countries of the world. When you are poor, I would claim to be the opposite sex if it meant I could support 25 of my family members. This is a reality. But he told me that in recruiting, they have to be very careful about checking that the people who, I, who say they are female are actually female. So I'm wondering, how is it that three people on the podium at the Rio Olympics were male? And this went unreported. Well, it was reported, but you had to look very hard in certain newspapers, because again, most papers just didn't, didn't cover it. You know, they don't want to cover it. They don't want to, 
they don't they want to kind of skirt the truth um you know yeah i mean i think dsd is separate from the transition although the ultimate end result is probably similar you know if a, somebody that's biologically male with the biological advantage because male puberty brings that to them the end result is the same getting there is obviously a different path so i tend to sometimes talk about the the dsd situation because showing that you know we had three males on the podium in Rio does show what can and will happen to women's sport if we allow more males to actually race females because there is a biological difference so it's just used as an example really but yeah you you know you talked about Leah Thomas uh, at the NC2As and then obviously you're talking about Emily Bridges fairly recently and I suppose that's why I've spoken up again more recently because now we've got those examples and it's the examples which is beginning to pique people beginning to pique the general public beginning to pique the parents of young sports kids you know young girls who want their daughters to have the same opportunities as they do their sons and so the general public is speaking and you mentioned the article in the times i've done a fairly big article in telegraph a big article in the daily mail over here um, and the comments section of all of those papers, you know, 99.9% are very, very supportive of the fact that they don't want women's sport ruined. They don't want it thrown under the bus. So general public in the UK anyway, um, are not behind, you know, trans inclusion um, in female sport. They would like to see protected sexual categories. And so that's why I'm speaking up, I suppose, is the general public is giving me the strength because that's the general feeling. But it's trying to get the sporting bodies to change. And the really good news is that they are. So after what happened at the NC2As with Leah Thomas, so Leah Thomas competed um, as a male athlete for over 21 years at um, the University in America, was never you know, a, a great swimmer, was an okay university swimmer, Ivy League swimmer. Um, was I think 462nd or something in, in the 200 freestyle and then went from ranked number 462nd to being ranked number one and their main event as well which is also something that never gets really talked about in the media their main event was the 1500 meters but when they transitioned they ultimately they became sprinters so that again as an analogy for people that don't really understand sport uh, quite so well as maybe myself that's like taking someone like Mo Farrow or Paula Radcliffe, and all of a sudden they they transition and they become sprinters. Well, that's not their, that's not their body type. That's not their natural ability. So Leah Thomas's natural ability is in distance swimming, but because of the puberty advantage that Leah Thomas has, all of a sudden they can be great sprinters. So Leah went from being you know nearly 500th in the country, and that's only in the country of university. That's not in the country of all male swimmers in America. That's just university swimmers went from being 500th to being first and beating three American Olympic silver medalists. Doesn't happen. You know, if you've mitigated, if you've taken that benefit away, that person would also be 500th in the women's events the same way as they were 500th in the men's. So obviously that's not the case. So that did peak an awful lot of people in America and it peaked American USA Swimming. And then that in turn has peaked FINA, which is our international body. So they have got new rules coming out just prior our world championships this summer. And they have gone a step further than USA Swimming. So USA Swimming have said, we need five nanomoles for three years. And we need a committee of three experts, medical experts for you to prove as a transgender athlete that you have mitigated against all puberty, male puberty advantage which would be almost impossible to do. And FINA are saying they have gone one step further. So although I don't know exactly what that is at the moment, I'm hoping it will mean you know, a protected classification. I also know that 22,000 members of the World Swimming Coaches Association have pushed FINA to say they want protected female classification of sport. So how much FINA have listened to, I don't know, but I'm hoping that uh, you know, Swimming Federation, I know the, trans, uh, the Triathlon Association are quite keen to try and protect female, uh, female sport, hopefully track and field. If we can get, uh, you know, and even the UCI now, after the whole situation with Emily Bridges recently, they're now talking about talking to each other and trying to come up with a sort of unified policy. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that the sporting bodies will step up and, and will try to protect female athletes. But I, to what extreme they will go, whether they will be brave enough to create new categories, I honestly don't know. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing 
We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. I'm concerned that until we can say women, <laughs> and it really means something, and stop this tippy-toeing around female-born uterus havers menstruator nonsense, just women. Because oh, a lot of this, very degrading. it is incredibly degrading. Yeah, to be a menstruator. It is. It's, it's insane that we cannot have what you spoke about, you know, being raised in the 60s and 70s, and I'm a few years younger than you, and I was able to play hockey on the street with boys in southern Canada with very little pushback. It was the 70s. Things were, if you recall, Marlo Thomas, you know, free to be you and me. That was a whole project on public television in the United States and Canada that was about breaking down stereotypes. There was nothing odd about me wearing corduroy jackets in the 1970s. But today I bring my daughter to school and she is not vomited with pink but her classmates are so every day she comes home and i get to hear about how they say she looks like a boy she looks nothing like a boy she simply doesn't wear pink everywhere and doesn't have you know frilly whatever's it's incredibly scary i mean i was one of those kids you know i i was training with the boys all of my younger years in fact all of my years really even up to when i won my olympic silver medal most of the time i was training with the boys so it was mixed training you know we were in we were more sorted out in our strokes and our distances than we were in our sex so i was training with other people doing 400 meters individual medleys and distance freestyle um, and I spent my life up a tree, you know, falling out of trees, breaking my arms, riding my bike into cars, knocking my teeth out, you know, short hair, smelling of chlorine and living in trousers. That's that's what I did as my youth. No one ever questioned my biological sex just because I did not want to wear pink and play with dollies all the time. You know, and this is how I feel that we have regressed terribly. We, we spent so much time trying to move away from stereotypes and giving people the opportunity to be whoever they want to be and supporting them to, to go on to a career in whatever they choose to do, to now suggesting that things have to be so boxed and labeled, you know, that, that we have to come up with terminologies of them and they, and I do not understand that either because them and they is a plural, you know, it's so, how can someone be two of something? You know, it, it, it's, it's just crazy. And I'm more than happy to call anybody by the name that they would wish to be called by. And if they wish to be called, she and her and I will do that as well you know I just see that as being polite but it, it's not going to change the fact that their biology um is their biology so yeah and I used to be of that feeling like you have just stated but I have shifted I'll tell you why uh I'm partly guilty for some of what's gone on in the sense of I taught queer studies queer theory in the U.S. and Canada although I taught it critically but what I realize now is that teaching it at all is sort of part of the problem just like i caved to a lot of friends who were like girlfriend and just she me and i did but the thing is is between friends you can lol and just you know cave into someone's individual desires it's when it becomes mass hysteria and then you're being called out by your friend and called a bigot because you say that these hormones are dangerous. And I wanna sort of skip there because I'm gonna tell you something. I wrote a piece for Colette a few years ago where I ventured into uncharted territory. I spoke with Siddhartha Anyadi, a cardiovascular physiologist at Arizona State University. And he had been doing research with Joanna Harper on this subject for the IOC. And he spoke to me about something that I did not know about. He, he talked about the 1970s era estrogen supplementation trials conducted under the coronary drug project. This is a project, and I have the data right here before me, where there were 8,341 patients enrolled in the project. These were men who were given estrogen, artificial estrogen. Of 8,341 patients, 2,451 died. Okay. Now, the death certificates, this is a huge number. We're talking roughly one quarter. And no one is talking about the dangers of these hormones, which is really astonishing to me, because aside from the unfairness in sport and the fact that this is purely bad sportsmanship, I'm sorry to say, for these men to enter into the races, even Rachel McKinnon, who's since changed his name to something Ivy, it's like, wait a sec this is bad sportsmanship but let's go beyond that this is a public health disaster we've got 
artificial hormones being put into people's bodies, being flushed into rivers and streams and the environment. And there's very little discussion about this. And I am concerned because when I read the coronary drug trials, the coronary drug project and the trial results, I was astounded when Siddhartha told me about the rates of death. I was, I was speechless. I went and researched it. I have the report right in front of me. It's easily findable from December, 1986, a whole report on this. And no one is talking about the ill effects that happen to people who are taking cross-sex hormones. You mentioned a lot of your former competitors in swimming from East Germany have since died. This is not a surprise. This is well known. Mm. No, absolutely. I mean, this is one massive, great pharmaceutical experiment and it will not end happily. Um, when it's going to end, I honestly don't know. You know, we know that people that are detransitioning now are speaking more often and there will definitely be more and more as time goes on. But those people are not getting a fair platform in most cases. Again, they're being hidden by the media and they're being vilified by, you know, the, the, the ideology almost like a cult, you know, who, who anyone that sort of desists with, the, with their beliefs are, are shunned and, and shamed. And so it's trying to get their voices out there for people to understand that we're dealing with a lot of young people that might have confused feelings and, and putting them on a drug pathway, which will not ultimately be healthy. And potentially they could change their minds because they are quite young. You know, and we all had that went through hell at puberty. You know, puberty is not a fun phase for anybody. That's the thing. You're so confused. And I was a horrible teenager. You know, I'm my, my poor mum and my emotions were all over the place. And my I was you know, one day one quite sane and the next minute shouting and screaming and goodness knows what. And that's that is kind of puberty. You know, it's just not a great fun phase for anybody. And if you're being promised that by taking cross-sex hormone, this confusion will go away. Lots of young people think it's sort of an, an elixir and it really isn't. And, and there will be an awful lot of people that will eventually struggle and, and have you know, serious side effects that they will have to deal with forever. And what I find the most frightening about all of this is like everything in life, if you follow the money, where the money is coming from for the majority of the lobbying for this, it leads right back to the people that will make the most amount of money out of it. And that is, that's criminal, really. Yeah. Well, a lot of people have explained the money as the motive behind the transitioning of children, because why get people when they're in their 20s when you can get them when they're eight and 12? And this is deeply cynical, but there seems to be some truth behind this when you start to do the research. Yeah. And, and again, I don't, you know, I don't profess to be an expert in this area, but I've done enough research and enough reading now over the last, you know, five years that I've been very aware of this um, to, to know a lot more than I speak about, because I think it's important to be aware of it all. My area of expertise is sport. You know, I've been an international since I was 11. I turned 60 this year. That's nearly 50 years that I've been involved in elite sport. Um, I've been to 12 Olympic Games. I know the difference between a male and female performance. I competed against these Germans that were full of you know, false testosterone. Um, and I know what, what that does to women's sports. So I can speak with great authority. And so I stick to my area of authority because, you know, that's what I, that's what I know. And no one can really question my, my area of, of knowledge on that. Um, and I've spoken to a lot of doctors and scientists with regards to, you know, what testosterone does. I understand animals. I understand what, what amount of testosterone people have. Um, and I understand, you know, the water and the drug, drug process as well, because I've been involved in it for so long. So this is my space, but I, I am aware of the car crash that is coming our way. And however long it's going to take before that becomes public knowledge, I don't know, but it's, it is somewhere maybe five years, 10 years in, into our future. And a lot of young people, especially young girls, because the numbers are way bigger in young girls who are being led to believe that they don't fit the stereotype to be a young girl. Um, so they're, they're transitioning. And testosterone will make changes to a young girl's body, which is very difficult to change. So although their chromosomes you know, will never, and their DNA will always remain the same, 
if you put testosterone into a female body, like we saw with the East Germans, you know, you end up with five o'clock shadows and deep voices and Adam's apples. And these, these are things, unfortunately, once you physically change them, it'd be quite difficult to physically change them back again. So they will be potentially left with things that they will regret for the rest of their lives. And there will be nothing, very little that can be done about it. If you remember the high school sprinters from Connecticut, I've interviewed some of them for articles and had one on the show as well. And it was really telling to me how much pushback these kids got when they were 16, 15, 17. Now they're in university, but they lost out on scholarships. You know, and this is a reality when you're in a country like the US where university can be a house, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, university, you know, if you've got, I mean, I went to university in America for a short while at Berkeley in, in San Francisco. Um, if you, you know, if you have physical talents, there is a way forward, you know, in sport to get an advantage, to get a scholarship. And those scholarships, as far as I'm aware, should be equally divided between male and female. But if they're then given out on physical ability only, then a lot more physical scholarships will go to, to males than they will to females. So, so girls will lose out. Um, if you don't enable, you know, females to win races, then they don't get the profiles to be able to go on and have the sort of career that I've had. So this is also curtailing, it's a form of sexual discrimination against people's job opportunities. You know, what I achieved in sport gave me the opportunity to have all sorts of other, other chances to do things and to earn a very good living. Um, and if we don't give you know, that equally across the both sexes, then it is sexual discrimination. So there are, there are things that we're looking into at the moment with regards to the courts and what we can do. But I think we're hoping that um, you know, we're relying on the sporting bodies. We're waiting to see what the sporting bodies do next. And, and they, they will be making some announcements, announcements in the next two or three months. Are sportswomen pushing back? Are they banding together and saying, if you let him in this race, we are not competing? They absolutely did with Emily Bridges. So that's what happened. Um, we brought a lot of attention onto British Cycling. British Cycling decided to um, talk to their their panel of experts, their panel of experts consisted of Pippa York, who was a, who was a transgender woman who, as a male, was caught for drug abuse when they were cycling. So I would say that person deserves to be on any panel regardless. And so Stone, amazing. You know, and Stonewall. That was, their, that was their panel that they went to in December to say, should we revisit our transgender rules? And of course, that panel said no. So they carried on with very poor transgender rules. Um, they then were, you know, enabling Emily to race. She's been racing perfectly successful and training with the men's team. So no one is ever saying that Emily shouldn't have a place in sport. Absolutely, she should. Um, but, you know, it needs to be where her biology fits. So all this hoo-ha happened recently, and it came to a, a sort of a, a, a turning point when she was entered into a competition and uh, the rest of the girls came together, and many of them I spoke to independently, um, including different coaches in, in cycling as well, and managers and management. Um, and they just all banded together and spoke to each other and said, no, we can't allow this to happen. And so the girls said that they would boycott. And so that got back to the UCI, the International Cycling um, Committee, and they said, no, you know, we can't really allow this. It will be very embarrassing. It's not right. We need to revisit these rules. And that's what they've done. So they sort of put halt on it. But that was girl power. That was the power of the athletes coming together. And maybe that is what they're going to have to do going forward. Maybe that, you know, female athletes can have to come together and and use their voice united to say we deserve fair sport. Well, I know that power lifters, they've contacted me, some of them from Samoa and other Pacific Islands were very outraged about what was happening in New Zealand with Lauren Hubbard. Mm -hmm. And a lot of men have been stepping on board to speak up for women's rights as well in this because they see what's going on. They think it's atrocious. But it's simply not enough, it seems, in certain woke sectors, such as well, my country, the United States, and we have freedom of speech, but you wouldn't know it because in these years concerning sports, prisons, etc. Well, it's, it's actually phenomenal that people are more outraged about a man participating in a woman's section of sport, but not outraged about the rapes happening in women's prisons. You know, it, it, it blows my mind. I swear, some days I just, uh, and yet we know that sex is real. So we're caught in this weird moibus strip where we're sort of having to pretend and Emily and oh, she, and wait, wait a sec. We're, you know, <laughs> if, if, a, if a Martian landed on planet earth today, they would be very quick to identify Emily as a man and say, dude, you're, you're trading on the men's team. Just keep 
keep with them, keep at it. You know, there's something quite ironic about the fact that Bridges is training with men and competing against women. No. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm just pleased that, that it was stopped at that particular point. And I'm very pleased that the girls had the strength to come together and to say that they, they wouldn't race. And I do think that is something that all female athletes in different areas of sport have got to start talking to each other and saying, how can we use our strength in numbers to demand that we have the right to fair sport, the same as males have the right to fair sport. You know, we will not allow our sport to be thrown under the bus. We will not allow our opportunities to be taken away from us. I can only do so much and people that are speaking out like yourself can only do so much. And eventually we've got the silent majority have got to speak. I mean, you know, I feel quite sad that, you know, there was this 60 names that went on this, this letter to the IOC of that 60 names, less than half a dozen have been vocal about how they feel. The other 55 have kept quiet. And yet they're very, very well-known people that their voice would be very loud and very important, but they choose not to speak out. We've got to find our courage somewhere, you know, for justice. Absolutely. And this is a larger issue beyond sports because let's say, well, me, (laughs) I did sports growing up. I was in the army. I jumped out of airplanes. I'm no longer in the army. I had another life. Sports tend to be part of my life in terms of my yoga practice, but I've had to skip that since lockdown. And, you know, I'm not a danger to anyone's sporting potential. At the same time, I worry about my children growing up in a world, seeing men on podiums and they're being made to shudder or to think that they will be cowed, they will be blighted in reputation should they say as my three-year-old says when she sometimes see me when she used to see me working on my computer she's now nine but she'd say mommy that's a that's a man she would at three years old know that a man dressed in a certain way to look like a woman was a man I mean if children can see this then why is it that adults have been pushed into having to fear the reputation, their livelihoods, their positions, their friendships, even with family members. This has become such a huge nut to crack because everyone is sort of goose stepping away at this theater, but we all know, including those who say trans women are women, they know that sex is real. Yeah, it's a bit like the emperor's new clothes, isn't it? You know, at some point somebody with a loud enough voice is going to shout, no, the emperor's got no clothes on. And then all of a sudden everyone will agree. You know? <laughs> and that's how it feels. It feels like we're waiting for that moment to happen. Meantime, you know, people, it's sort of marching on and people are getting injured, whether that's young females that don't get their opportunities in sport or whether that's young adolescents who are confused and need help, you know, to, to get through puberty. Um, it's it there is a lot of damage being done whilst we're waiting for the emperor to be shown that he has no clothes and that's what I couldn't in all good faith having gone through what I went through with the East Germans not be vocal um, and not say something and it has absolutely affected you know my earning capacity it's been very difficult on top of COVID it's been really really difficult but um, I'm in the lucky position where I've had a good career um, and I've had great support from family and friends Um, And so I decided, you know, my conscience said I couldn't sit back and and not say something. I totally understand that if you're a young athlete and you are literally just about meeting your bills and your sponsor is going to come out, you know, pull out of your sponsorship, should you have a have an opinion on this? that you have to think twice about it, regardless of what your opinion is. And I I speak to young athletes daily, you know, and, and I know how they feel. I know how the vast, vast majority feel. And they don't feel this is right, whether they're male or female. But it's that scary thing about not feeling that they're able to talk about it, that um, in, in a world where free speech is what we fought for, that seems to be so curtailed at the moment. It's extraordinary. And But every day, particularly in the UK, I think North America has a bigger problem than we do. I think Canada and America and the US is really captured, you know, and it seems to be harder. But certainly in the UK, we seem to have more people coming out on a daily basis and 
talking about it and being a little bit more aware of it and um and the actual facts and the truth seem to be making their way very very slowly into the media so that eventually everyone will be able to see it and i'm a, you know i'm a huge supporter of it i have friends that are transgender i have parents that have children that at the moment um are transgender and i say at the moment because i don't think that they've been put on to hormones because i think the parents are too responsible to say i would want to do that to my children until they've gone through puberty so that they can make a, a decision as an adult rather than making that decision as a child um but i'm a you know a massive supporter of anyone that has gender dysphoria it's a horrible absolutely horrible thing and we need a great deal of understanding but i think the actual number of people that have true gender dysphoria compared to the number of people at the moment that have been caught up in a, in what is it seems to be a sort of fashionable cult where anyone that is a bit confused is, is fed a lie that changing their gender is going to sort all their problems out um you know that's where i'm not prepared to go you know that's that's a different and and i can't understand how we can how our numbers can you know be 4000% more as they are in the uk than they were just five, six year, years ago, if it's not something which is associated to a social contagion. And social media has an awful lot to account for, for what's going on at the moment. Oh, absolutely. Sweden has done uh, a 180 on this issue, and they have pretty much stated that there's social contagion involved in the rising numbers, and they have stepped back away from a lot of the treatments that previously were conducted on children. This aside, Sharon, from the fact that there is no good research into what is called gender dysphoria from an objective point of view, looking back historically from the beginning of this diagnosis, let's call it from the mid middle 20th century, when people like John Money were espousing this theory of being in the wrong body, as he said at the time, and the development of gender clinics from Wisconsin to John Hopkins and beyond. One of the biggest gender clinics was in Casablanca. And you had people sending or being sent, men being sent to get fixed for what was at the time often cultural homophobia. And yet there has been no research into what this is because you said it earlier, adolescence sucks. It's not like it sucks worse for someone who's transgender, unless we have a barometer to measure that. Adolescence sucks. And it can, it can suck because of someone's body changing, hormones, hair popping out, hair that we don't want popping out, even hair where it's supposed to be popping out, popping out. And it's not like, oh, I was psyched to have menstruation, not. I don't know many women who are like, yay, <laughs> let me bleed all over the place every month. So this misnomer that somehow we're born in the wrong body or that puberty is somehow harder for certain people than others. Well, of course, puberty, puberty can be harder for certain people. People will experience life differently. But I think that this fast tracking of children to be diagnosed as having gender dysphoria, which was previously gender identity disorder, which was previously many other names. Yeah, and was a medical, was a medical condition until the World Health Organization took it out of a medical condition, you know, and, and that's the thing which I think is a little bit frightening. It, it, to me, the dysphoria is in the mind, it's not in the body. You've got a perfectly healthy body that's actually serving yeah. you very well. So this is something which is a feeling. So it's, it's in the head, it's not in the body, and yet we're treating the body so I, I don't know, you know, we're taking a very healthy body and potentially making it sick and making it not work so well and, and giving it osteoporosis, you know, if you're filling yourself full of estrogen. And, you know, it, I just it's very difficult to get your head around how you would take someone who's healthy and make them physically less healthy because you're giving them drugs. I, I don't know. And I'm of the belief that, you know, you are born in your body. And if someone is unhappy with their body, we need to give them help and support for them to learn to be happy in their body, but also give them time because we change. You know, we change all the time about how we feel about ourselves and, and we grow with confidence and with the people we meet and the jobs that we have and, you know, and all sorts of different things. So, yeah, it, it, is, a, it is a really, it's a really difficult one. I mean, I'll, I'll always pull it back to sport and say that there's no way on earth that we should be categorizing sport on how you feel. Because how do we set rules and, and control who does race if it's based on a feeling? Because we have no way of proving anyone's feelings. We only have ways of proving what your biological sex is. So it seems madness that we should 
base a category on a feeling. Well, absolutely. And recently I received a letter from the government here saying you haven't had your COVID vaccine. They've mandated this for everyone over 50. And I wanted to write them back sarcastically, of course, saying, but I identify as 25. Now, that would be laughed out of town. We know what age is. Yeah. We know a lot of things, but somehow sex and who's a uterus have or not, this is all up for contentious debate. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, sport is discriminated by nature. You know, we have categories in sport to try to create level playing fields. So we have age groups. You've just mentioned that. You know, we don't have 15-year-olds racing with the under 10s because that would be unfair. We have weight categories of boxing. We don't have the heavyweights, you know, fighting the bantam weights because that would be unfair. Um, you know, that's in Paralympics, we have goodness knows how many categories to try to create level playing fields for people with different disabilities. So we have categories for a reason. And that is exactly why we have men and women's categories for a reason to create fairness for the two different sexes. So it's back to this thing, well, then maybe they should have been called male and female. And maybe we should go back to to basing it purely on biological sex. If we do that, there's one group of people that would be discriminated against trans men, women, females on testosterone would have nowhere to race. So the female and open enables everyone to race and it enables biological females to have a fair platform to do their sport. And, you know, I will constantly say that until the day that it actually happens. And, and I feel it will happen. I just don't know when it will happen. Thank you.